0: You are listening to audio from Citizens Church, located in Plano, Texas. For more information about this ministry, or to give to this ministry, please visit citizenschurch.com. Good morning, church. How are you? Awesome. Thank you. Wow. Matthew 5, verses 13 through 16. That's where we'll be. We'll go to a few other uh, passages this morning, but that's where we've been for the last... Few weeks, and really, what we're doing is we're looking at the two metaphors that Jesus uses in the Sermon on the Mount that his people are the salt of the earth, they are the light of the world, and we're asking about those metaphors what does that mean for us? And so, we'll continue doing that this morning. Welcome to any of you, maybe watching online. And then, for any who I know that some it might be your first time here, we're so glad that you chose to worship. And then, for others, because of the season that we're in, this could be uh, your first time here in a long time. And so, welcome, pray the Lord is already ministered to you and you being here. Uh, What we've been doing is we've been asking, what does it mean to be salt of the earth and light of the world? And a couple weeks ago, we kind of explained The exposition of that, and then the last two weeks we've been applying that. So, looking at areas of of darkness in the world, looking at areas of injustice in the world, and saying, what does it look like to be a prophetic people? What does it look like to be a salt and light people, uh, defending the sanctity of all life? That was two weeks ago, from womb to tomb, saying that everyone is made in the image of God. And then last week, considering in a world that's very divided, especially along the lines of race and ethnicity, but we belong to the story where one day all. Uh, Every tribe and tongue and people and nation are united together, that we will worship God for all of eternity as a people who are diverse but not divided. And so what does it look like to be a people who who live out of that future right now uh, in the present? This morning, if you have been here for any length of time, a year or more, you know that those are kind of staple conversations we have in January. This morning, I want to add to that Uh, kind of Rolodex of conversations, by having a a conversation that we haven't had together uh, on the relationship between your faith and your work, your faith and what you do for a living or what you hope to do one day for a living. Uh, That question, what do you do for work? It's a real common question. If you uh, meet people, if you are starting a relationship uh, with anyone, usually at some point the question is, what do you do for work? And that gets brought up That's a a common question we ask one another. That is a question that will sometimes put me in uh, interesting situations because I'm a pastor. Uh, I've been in ministry since I was 19 years old. And so for the last, the greater portion of my adult life, when someone has asked me that question, my answer has been a ministry answer. The last three or four years, you know, it's been I'm a pastor. and, And here's oftentimes what happens. That question answer will elicit a few different responses. Someone will say, what do you do for work? I'll say I'm a pastor. And sometimes... They just kind of stare at me and they're like, so like a, like a pastor of like kids, like young people, like, no, actually like a pastor, pastor of a church. And they'll just look and and say something like, gosh, you just look so uh, inexperienced or something like that. Right. (laughs) Which is fine because I feel so inexperienced. Or one of my favorites, that's not my favorite is I'll say I'm a pastor and then um, they will just immediately start sharing their opinion with me about anything, but mostly like their kind of hot sports opinions about what's wrong with the world, right? Or what's wrong with people. Like I become kind of like their own personal complaint department to God or something like that, which is interesting. So when that happens, if, if they ask, what do you do? I say, I'm a pastor. And then if they're the complaint person, sometimes they'll say, you know, where do you pastor? We'd love to come visit. And I'll always say, I pastor a church called the Village in Flower Mound. We'd love for you to come <laughs> see us anytime. Uh, Sometimes I'll say, I'm a pastor, and they will, this is my favorite, uh, they will immediately ask for prayer about something, which is so special, to meet a stranger and to get, to immediately enter into the conversations that they're having with God, and it really is an honor. Here's my point. I have a profession, a vocation, that in everyone's mind is directly connected to my religion. I have a vocation that is directly connected to my belief in everyone, just culturally, to be a pastor is, okay, he, he's like really serious about God, right? Most people would at least consider that. And so I can't talk about what I do without also talking about what I believe because that connection is just culturally made in people's mind. To be in ministry is to kind of work for God, right? I'm willing to bet that that's not true for most in the room. I'm willing to bet that's not true for you, that in other people's mind, what you do for a living is not directly connected to what you believe about God, are directly connected to your religion. Like, for most of you, like, if somebody says, hey, what do you do for work? And you say, you know, I sell insurance. I doubt they respond, gosh, will you pray for me? Right, that probably just doesn't happen. And it's probably true for what most of what you do. Because in the mind of our society, your work and your faith are not directly connected. Here's my question this morning. Is that true? According to God, is that true? Do you, because of what you do for a living, your vocation... Uh, whatever that might be, is there a disconnect between what you do for work and what you believe about God? Or, as we say this morning, are those things actually connected? Uh, Is there actually a way that your faith informs your work, right? Jesus says, you're the salt of the earth, the light of the world. We've been talking about that all month, that followers of Jesus as the salt of the earth preserve the world from moral decay. We shine as lights in the world to the dark areas around us. We said three weeks ago that that means we're all invited into God's work. There are no, when it comes to following Jesus, there are no spectators. There's only participants. And so what does that mean for the 40 to 60 hours that you spend in your job? Or what does that mean for the jobs that you're trying to pursue if you're a student or the job changes you're thinking about making? And so have you considered that? So that's my aim this morning, that you would think about the job you currently do. And if you're uh, coming in here exhausted in your job or weary in your job or thinking about changing a job or you're studying and you're not quite sure if that's going to land to a job that's satisfying for you, That uh, if that's you, this morning is for you. And so what is natural a natural reaction when we think about the relationship between what we believe as Christians and what we do for a living, the natural thing to think is that there's a secular, sacred divide. And I don't know if you're familiar with that language, but the idea is that um, there are things in my life that are sacred. They, like my, when I pray, that's sacred. When I come to church, that's sacred. And they are tied to what I believe to be true about God. And then there are all these other things in my life that are secular, the work I do, uh, you know, the, 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 the way I spend my free time, right, it's not connected at all. And so an example would be, it's easy to think that when we come in here, what we're doing in here, what we're offering in here is sacred, and then everything that goes on out there is secular. And that's one way to think about your work, but that's not how the Bible would lead you to think about your work. Consider some of these passages from Scripture, That as followers of Jesus, God would have all of our life brought wholly and completely in full surrender under the reign and rule of Christ. And that includes our work. So consider what the Bible says about your work. Genesis chapter 2 verse 15. It says, The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. That's Genesis 2. When does sin enter the world? I'll give you a hint. It comes right after the number 2. Genesis 3. Okay, so God wires his world with work in it before or after the world breaks, before. So God creates a world and he creates it through this rhythm of work and rest, six days of work, one day of rest. And then he calls humanity into that same rhythm. And so what you see in Genesis two, it does not say God put man in the garden to rest and enjoy it, even though that's true. He put man there to work and keep it. So the first word about work and the world is from God, and he says it's good. It's a, it's a good word. It's God's idea. Think about this, friends. Un- unless you're involved in something that just is explicitly evil or sinful for work, whatever you do, it traces its origin back to God's design, the work you're involved in. Ephesians 6, we'll jump way ahead in the Bible story, but Paul is talking to bond servants. These are people who are at the absolute lowest in economy. The work they did was really menial. And he says this to them. He tells them to work not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bondservants of Christ doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or he is free. So it's a class of people that are doing a work, involved in a work. It's their livelihood. And society considered it to be the absolute bottom rung, menial and meaningless. They are floor sweepers and table setters and order takers. And Paul writes to them in their mundane work. And he says, this is, part of your life with Jesus he doesn't say when you're done with all that meaningless work you need to find something godly to do he says all of your life is done for Jesus there is no secular sacred divide before you work for your boss you work for Christ so do your work for Jesus which is to infuse what society considered meaningless is to infuse that work with dignity Colossians 3 23 through 24 says whatever you do whatever you do work heartily as for the Lord and not for men knowing that from the Lord you will receive this inheritance as your reward you are serving the Lord Christ did you hear your job like whatever you do right now he talked about it he said whatever you do Whether you're an account manager or a teacher or a home builder or an electrician or an athlete or a sales rep or a waiter or a doctor or a business owner or whatever you do that I left out, there is a way that God wants you to do that work. Work heartily, he says. And it combines these two ideas. It combines the idea of sincerity and the idea of your soul. So what he's saying is whatever you do, Work with a sincere soul, like give an undivided heart sincerely to your work as you would unto the Lord. Your work, friend, your work is not disconnected from your faith. Your faith infuses all of your life. Your faith connects to God's design for the world. And an outworking of that is that the work that you do is godly and can be done in a way that worships God. God cares and wants your work to be for him. And so so real quick, this includes this includes your witness at work. It certainly does include that. It includes sharing the gospel with your coworkers, for sure. It includes thinking winsomely and wisely about what that looks like depending on the industry that you are involved in. Next week, one of our elders, Kevin Evans, who's been a missionary, he's been a pastor, he's gonna talk all about the importance of evangelism and missions in the life of a Christian, uh, sharing our faith with those around us and those around the world. And so it includes your work. But, But here's what I want us to hear. It is not limited to just sharing the gospel at work. What I mean by that is there is something Godly, there is something God honoring about the actual work you do. It's not simply just trying to baptize your work in Christianity, but seeing that because of your Christianity, your work is tied to the design of the world, God at work in the world. Ben Witherington, he's a New Testament scholar. He wrote a book on work called Work. He gives a definition for work in that book. Any necessary And meaningful task that God calls and gifts a person to do, which can be undertaken to the glory of God and for the edification and aid of human beings, being inspired by the Spirit, foreshadowing the realities of the new creation. A biblical vision, if you were to take all that the Bible says about work. And just synthesize it together. That work would be a a biblical vision for work. It would be this cord of three different threads. And here's those three threads. Christian work is three things. It's rooted in God's story both creation and new creation. You heard that in the definition, you hear it in the Bible, that that we see the tasks that we do uh, as having a meaningful connection to the story that we belong to, right? Both the beginning of that story and the glorious end. So, for instance, any work that you're involved in, whether that's with people or organization or numbers, if you are, if your job is to take what is chaotic and bring order, you know who first did that in the world? God, That's how that's the pattern by which God created that there was chaos and God brings order to chaos. Christian work is rooted in God's story. Two, it is aimed at God's glory and human good. Christian work is aimed at God's glory and human flourishing. It seeks to honor God and bring good to others. God made the world to rely on him. God made a world that needs him. And so any work that we do, it has the potential to bring glory to God and to bring good to others. If that's meeting needs, if that's creating culture, if that's serving in any capacity. And then three, Christian work combines your calling and your character in a specific vocation. God has, like if you think about the resurgence and how much we pay attention to personality tests or Enneagram types or all that, God has wired you in a certain way God has given you certain gifts. You've got a specific story and personality. And while I don't think that that means there's only one job for you, like the equivalent of like a career soulmate or something like that, I do think it's important to ask what kind of work has God equipped me to do? How has God uniquely made me, designed me to be deployed into the world for human flourishing and the glory of God, right? And to do that out of righteous character So whatever job you do is this infusion of what God's called you to do, wired you to do, and then the character that he's forming in you to make you look more like Christ. Aimed at God's glory and human flourishing, rooted in God's story, a combination of your calling and your character, that's the grid through which every Christian should run their job through. If you're considering making a job change, if you're considering what would God have me do with my life, think about what can I do? How can I most uniquely and most precisely and most faithfully match those three criteria? We'll unpack that a bit more. I want to serve you, friends, by giving you really specific examples of what that looks like towards the end of our time together. But before that, I need to say two things. If this is what work is, if this is what Christian vision for work is, there are two things that it's not that that dominate the societal way that we talk about work and think about work. And there are two ends of a spectrum. One is work is not God. It's not God. We talk about work and career and job from an early age in ways that set us up to worship our work. We talk about it and think about it early on in ways that, set, that, 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 that condition us to place, place expectations on work that work simply cannot carry and work simply cannot satisfy. Like think about how early on we start to consider the question, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I know it may be not, it's not meant to do this, but early on, think about in your psyche, in your mind, how much being is connected to what? career. And being is connected to vocation. The answer has changed throughout the years, right? So it used to be you ask a kid that and they're like, I wanna be an astronaut, I wanna be president. The other day, my son was talking and he said, When I grow up, I wanna be a YouTube star. And I'm like, okay, okay. Um, we're gonna need a real strong plan B. Like, uh, <laughs> let's just call it plan A and then if the YouTube thing works out, that's great. The answers change, but the question is the same. And so, so early on in life, as we start to think, about becoming something. It is inextricably tied to what we're going to do for a living. Think about this, friends. Your vocation is part of who you are, for sure. you You can't change that. You can't escape that. There is something about what you do that is connected to your identity, but it's so much more than that. Think about this. Think about all of the ways a Christian could answer that question that have nothing to do with career. Kid, what do you want to be when you grow up? How many... How many answers to that question are deeply theological, they are Christ-centered and Christ-exalting, and they have nothing to do with how you make money or what you do for a living? You could say, I want to be a good friend when I grow up. Godly friend. I want to be a, a godly, justice-seeking neighbor, just like the one Jesus talks about in the parable of the Good Samaritan that we talked about last week. I want to be a church member, a faithful church member. I want to be a godly wife or husband. I want to be a faithful child to my parents as they age. I want to be active in meeting needs around me. I want to be a parent. I want to be someone who defends the vulnerable just like God does. None of those have to do with career. All of those, good, godly, biblically informed, God-exalting answers to that question. But we spin. In our thinking, in our planning, in our assessment of how our life is going, we spend a disproportionate amount of time only focusing on the career answer to that question. You know why? Because we live in the Western world, and in the Western world, we are sold and we've bought into a story where meaning in life doesn't come from God. Meaning in life is self-created. And we are sent into the world trying to create meaning and value for ourselves, and there's a challenge. This should sound familiar. There's a challenge. On one hand, it says, make something of yourself. And that's the Western challenge. And then on the other side, there's a promise. You can be whatever you want to be. Dream big. Follow your dreams. And so the challenge is make something of yourself, which feels so daunting, and then the promise is the ceiling is sky high. You can become whatever you want to become, right? You can dream however you want to dream. And then what that does is that uh, challenge, make something of yourself, combined with that promise, you can be whatever you want to be. It sets a standard that if in my career I'm not living my dream, then I'm not living at all. If in my career I haven't made something of myself, right, which now means Famous, well known, super successful, right? Then I'm somehow failing. And so, what you'll see, I think one of the struggles that we have in evangelicalism right now, just in the Western world, is one of the challenges is we see so many Christians who will so easily neglect all of the other answers to the question, like being a good friend. Neighbor, husband, wife, faithful child, to aging parents, mom or dad. Often those fall on the priority list because we believe the answer that matters most is answered by what we do for a living. Look right at me, friends. Your work is not your God. Work is not God. Let me say it another way. You do not get your worth from your work. You don't get your worth from your work. A few years ago, I shared an article I read from Harvard Business Review, and I'd like to revisit it this morning because it's worth it. Uh, It was an article that talks about it. it, uh, Harvard Business Review had interviewed these massive companies, these businesses, these organizations about their hiring process. And one of the things that they discovered is there's a kind of person that these Fortune 500 companies will seek to hire because they make great workers. And the Harvard article called that person, it named that person the insecure overachiever. Here's the quote from the article. Elite professional organizations deliberately set out to identify and recruit insecure overachievers. Some leading professional organizations explicitly use this terminology, though not in public. Insecure overachievers are exceptionally capable, fiercely ambitious, yet driven, hear this, by a profound sense of their own inadequacy. This typically stems from childhood and may result from various factors such as experience of financial or physical deprivation, or, goodness, a belief that their parents' love was contingent upon their behaving and performing well. In the short term, insecure overachievers respond by delivering exceptional performance. Who does the best work? People who believe their work can overcome their insecurities. Who does the best work? People who believe that their work can heal their wounds. Goodness, that last bit is so sad. Some work the way they work because they grew up in a home where you had to work for love. And everyone needs love, and so if love is something that you have to work for, then I'm going to have to become a better worker than everyone else. They learned to work hard because I was taught in my home that love was something that you had to perform for, and then we're sent out into the world, so many of us, and, and I'm living in a world that says you got to make something of yourself, and on the other hand, you can be whatever you want to be and follow your dreams, and maybe we think, okay, that's what's going to make me matter in life. That's where I'm going to find meaning in life. Like, I can just get right in that sweet spot of making something of myself by following My dreams, then that's going to mean that all of that sense of worthlessness, all of that sense of neglect, all of the ways that I've been wounded in life are just going to go away because I have the right title. I make the right amount. I'm respected by the right people who are in the right places in society. And that skews two things that skews what work we consider worth doing. Like where we get this idea that there are some jobs that are just beneath me, there's some work. That's beneath me because I'm judging what work is worth doing and what work is worthless based on how much that work makes me feel worthy. So it's I am interpreting, I am judging throughout my own sense of inadequacy, through my own insecurities, what jobs are worth having, which ones are not. And we forget that Jesus, the best human who ever lived, spent far more years as a carpenter than he did a miracle worker came into the world. It didn't come as some sort of aristocrat or philosopher or, or or governor, but he came in as a handyman, blue-collar worker. But if I place the burden of mattering in life on my work, I have to do something that says something about me. The other thing it skews is it skews our relationship between work and rest. God made his world with that work rest rhythm and rest is to remember that God is God and nothing else is. Rest is where we remember our worth is not in what we produce, but our worth is in who we belong to. But if I am counting on work to be my worth, then I will try to find rest in my work by doing more, accomplishing more. And instead of saying there are parts of my life where work is not allowed, we live as if there are parts of our life where God is not allowed, which means work is God. Because what you rest in is what you worship. I wonder how much of that is just the insecure overachiever in us. I wonder how much of that is how we've been conditioned to take our wounds to our work and we expect our work to heal our wounds. And only God can do that, my friend. Only God can do that. There is only one place to go for that. You will never sell enough. You will never accomplish enough. You'll never be promoted enough. You'll never be praised enough. You'll never be acknowledged enough. You'll never make enough. You'll never manage enough to ever repair in your heart and in your soul what only Jesus can heal. And listen, if you try then your wounds will fester and your work will spoil right in front of you. You will want to do one of three things. You will either despise your work for not doing what it could never do, or you will drown in your work waiting for it to save you. Friend, when you look to your work for your worth, you will become a slave to your work. But as Christians, covered in the blood of Jesus, all of our wounds all of our sin, all of our shame. When we look to God for our worth, we're reminded that we're not a slave anymore. We're a son, we're a daughter. It's not the work that you do. Hear me, friend. It is not the work that you do that makes you worthy. It is the work that Jesus did for you that you cannot work for. You receive as a gift. You receive as grace. And that frees us to have a purpose behind the work that we do. That is bigger and better than simply managing our insecurities. A purpose behind the work that we do, where I am not looking to my work or placing the expectation on my work to do for me what only God can do for me. Work is not God. It's not where you find your worth. There's another side to that. On the other end of the pendulum, if over here work is not God, over here work is not necessary evil. Work is not simply something, the thing that you have to do that you don't want to do to get to where you want to become or where you want to be. Like if one picture in society, if one picture is somebody who worships their work, the other end of that, the other picture are people who worship not working. People who worship uh, being free of responsibility, people who worship, like usually what that means is it means that we worship some sort of form of leisure or relaxing. It's like the song from the 80s, everybody's working for the weekend, right? Sorry if that stuck in your head or... Sorry if it makes you want to watch Zoolander again. But why our culture obsesses over people who make a ton, who work a little, and who play a lot. That's the the pull of the culture to make heroes out of those who make a ton, who work a little, who play a lot. Like we don't obsess over the lives of the unknown and disciplined. We obsess over the lives of the rich and famous. Work is not part of the curse, Like where God's word will just speak into that, where God's word will just start to to dismantle that argument. Work is not part of the curse of sin. Work is in the world before sin, which means work is good. In fact, work will be around even after Jesus returns. Work will be part of eternity in the new heavens and the new earth. Isaiah says about that time, They will beat their swords and spears into plowshares and pruning hooks. Plowshares and pruning hooks uh, are are instruments of work. They are farmer's tools, right? They are a working man, a working woman's tools. It doesn't say they'll beat their swords and spears into beach chairs and umbrellas. Although I'm banking on those being there too, right? The the idea is that when, when we get a taste of, a foretaste of glory divine... That glory includes work. We are not headed to a workless eternity. We're headed to a warless eternity, which includes righteous work that is offered to God in glory and honor of God. So we live in this weird place where it's easy to actually do two things at the same time. It's easy to worship work, and it's also easy to worship not working. Like to see work merely as the thing that I have to do, which minimizes God's heart for work, minimizes God's design for work. We need to pay attention to something, friends. Would you and I pay attention to who is living a life that we envy? Is it the person who has less responsibility and more leisure in their life? Is it the one who goes on more vacations than we do? The one who seems to always have more free time than we do? The one who has more time for self-care than we do? And if that is the life that we envy, if that's the one we, we find our hearts craving for, if like we could trade spots, that's the person we want to trade spots with, just ask, why is that my picture of what a good life looks like? Like where I am feeling surrounded by my responsibilities, whether at work or at home, and I wish I could trade my responsibilities for someone else's leisure or my responsibilities for someone else's free time. And and maybe that means it's a busy season and godly rest is needed. I understand that. But in a world that can worship not working, it is worth considering if I am looking at parts of my life as burdens and God looks at those very same parts and says, what you say as burdens are the very things I've entrusted to you what you call burdens are the very things that i've invited you to participate with me in accomplishing like we need we need to be careful that we are not living for the moments in life that actually have less of our life in them can i say that again we need to be careful that we're not living our life for the moments in life that have less of our life in them less of my children less of my calling less of meeting needs, less of my work, and more living for moments in life that are actually me escaping from all the responsibilities in my life. Look, I'm not talking about godly rest. I am talking about that pull in our heart to envy, to worship, to long for not being needed, which is to worship not working. That will make, if that's our view of work, if that's our view of our responsibilities, that will make responsibilities feel like burdens, and they're not. That will make callings in our life feel like weights. And God is not intended for that to feel like weights. Work is not necessary evil. Work is something God calls you to, and whatever responsibility that is, God has not called you into it to simply get out of it, but to be in it faithfully and honor him in it. Work can't be your life's sole purpose. It'll kill you. But every life needs to be involved in work that serves a purpose, a purpose that's greater than just getting to the end of the work. So we're back to Christian work, rooted in God's story, aimed at God's glory and human good, which is a combination of your calling and your character. What does that look like? What would that sound like in the life of a Christian in various different vocations for them to articulate how their faith and their work are together? That's a great question. I'm glad you have that question. I had the same question. So I asked that question to 10 of our church members from all different vocations. I said, how does your faith inform your work? These are men and women who know. It's rooted in God's story. They know it's aimed at God's glory and human flourishing. They know it's a mixture of calling and character. And I just said, how does your faith inform your work? And they all responded. I'd like to share those responses with you. I asked one of our members who owns a real estate company, how does your faith inform your work? He said, as a Christian in the workforce, pursuing excellence in my work is the first form of generosity and love I provide my community I believe I'm most Christ-like when I prioritize the needs of my clients over my own and focus my attention on providing them the best service possible. I love this. And because my God holds the keys to the storehouses of all that I need, I don't have to focus on how much I can take from this city, but on how much I can give. In a world of selling, he says, I'm not first a salesman, I'm a servant. In a world of individual, he says, I'm about my community. In a world of scarcity and self-protection, he says, I can be generous because I have a generous God. My work finds its meaning as my faith is infused into all that I do. I asked a member who's in finance, investing, how does your faith inform your work? As an entrepreneur in the area of finance, I'd never heard anything like this. The model of business is rooted in the pattern of creation. God deployed his resources knowing there would be great sacrifice because in the end he knew that it would be eternally worth it. He knew there was a future of people from every tongue, tribe, and nation, worshiping and glorifying him forever to a much less degree. That's what I do as a business owner in finance. I see a need. I invest capital at great risk to fill a need and to bring about flourishing for others, for their good and the glory of the Father. Do you hear that? Okay, you're in this world of finance. How do you make sense of what you do as a Christian? And he said, I make sense of it because of God's story. Not the story of consumerism, not the story of get rich quick, not the story of of, of get all that you can and keep all that you get, but the story of creation, the pattern of creation, a God who sacrificed, who deployed his resources. And he says, I think about my work through that lens for God's glory and the good of others in finance. And that's why it matters. I asked a member who's a police officer. How does your faith inform your work? I look at each contact with people through a gospel lens. Everyone is a child of God and is created in his image and is deserving of our love regardless of what they've done. I would hope my work honors God by the way I treat people. The Lord has placed in me a desire to protect those who can't protect themselves. My heart breaks for people who cannot defend themselves. My desire to please the Lord is my strongest motivation for doing the right thing and working hard even when people aren't watching. I mean, if you're gonna get pulled over, don't you hope this guy pulls you over? (laughs) You hear in him a calling that God has placed in his life. One theologian that I read this week said that calling for a Christian is when your deep gladness meets the world's deep need. That's what Christian calling is. It's when your deep gladness meets the world's deep need. And here you have a man whose gladness, whose desire is to protect and serve in a world that deeply needs protection. And so God has called him into a vocation, given him authority and power that he doesn't abuse, given him authority and power that doesn't become an ego trip for him, but given him authority and power to do a job with grace and dignity and righteousness, seeing everyone is made in God's image, even when no one's watching. Ask asked a member who's a teacher, how does your faith inform your work? As a teacher, I'm a seed planter, knowing that I'll likely never get to see the full growth or maturity. Every day, a group of image bearers walks through the door to my room, each one with their own stories and their own gifts and their own hurts. The gospel gives me eyes to see them that way. Made in the image of God. And for the amount of time that I'm with them, however long or short that is, I want my voice to be the one that speaks life. Goodness, the the potential a teacher has to make a difference in the lives of young, impressionable, confused minds and hearts. And to hear the heart of this teacher, and friends, I can't, for those teachers, I can't imagine how difficult it's been being a teacher in this season that we've been in. But to hear the heart of this teacher, God, you have given me a small amount of time, and you've given me a room, and you, oh, every day you fill that room with your image bearers, and you've given me a voice, and I want my voice to sound like yours, God. It's beautiful. Asked a member who's a stay-at-home mom, how does your faith inform your work? I know that's different than other vocations. The Bible would not categorize that as a vocation, but categorize it as discipleship in the home because both father and mother, regardless of if one or both work, uh, has that call on their life to parent. But I'm mindful that many, when you're asked what do you do for work, your answer is the hardest job there is. I'm home all day with my kids. And that is a work that is mostly unseen and it's a work that has in it a unique vocational privilege that any other job doesn't, but this unique privilege of caring for your children as God's child. So this mom says, I try to represent God to my kids in moments of correction, remembering how God corrects me with patience and kindness and not condemnation. I try to remember how Jesus was available and intentional with people and try to let my kids feel seen and heard and enjoyed. The Lord understands, she says, the burden of parenting so that after a difficult moment or a mundane moment or even after a win, God is a safe place for me to come and find compassion. He is the only witness sometimes to the hard moments and mundane moments and wins. And I'm grateful to know that I'm not alone. I feel seen and loved and his love is the well I can keep coming back to. The joy of knowing. That all I'm trying in my work as a parent to be, all that I'm trying to imperfectly be, God is always those things to me. And I get to represent him in my home. And you know this, if this is what you do for a living, God sees you. Did you hear that? That God sees you. He sees your work in the home. He sees your tired hands and your tired eyes. He sees all the moments that are unnoticed in the world. And as my friend says, even when you feel empty, God is love. And that love is a deep well for you, my friends. I asked a member who's a nurse. How does your faith inform your work? Being an RN in the ICU has been beyond what I could ever imagine. With COVID, can you even Can you even imagine? Chaotic and difficult and stressful it's been for our nurses. Being an RN in the ICU has been beyond what I could ever imagine, with COVID complicating the way we work as well as weighing emotionally on us all. Hear her. I find myself praying more for my coworkers and patients' families for hope and peace and comfort, reminding them that God is as sovereign in the unknown as He is in all of our situations. She says, I work in chaos. I work around things that are broken, but I can be. As a Christian who knows the story of work, I can be a person of peace and prayer and comfort. Because God is sovereign, I can be a signpost in the difficult places of the care and control of Almighty God. I asked a doctor, how did your faith inform your work? Practicing medicine is the intersection of my spiritual gifts and God's kingdom purpose for my life. To meet physical needs for the sake of human flourishing. Through this work, I personally experience a glimpse of God's character as seen through the person of Jesus, the good physician. God has given the common grace of medicine and with it the ability to offer care and healing where the effects of the fallen world have broken down the body. And so this doctor stands in a room with a front row seat to how sin affects our world, breaks every part of our world and gets to experience and represent God's character as the one who's the ultimate healer. It's beautiful and that work matters. I asked an artist, a designer. God created the world, she said in a way that communicates his beauty and stirs the affections of his children toward him. The work of my hands as a believer should open the door to allow others to see God as most beautiful and to be surprised by the awe and wonder that is all around. I hear from the Lord I see his goodness, I see his mercy and his love and his care for me when I get to help people see creation rightly. If God is the original creator and I am made in the image of God, then creating is just a natural outworking of my relationship with him. Pope Benedict said the greatest witness the church has is her saints and her art. That of all people, Christians should see and seize the potential to create beautiful things in a way that points to a beautiful God. And here he has wired this woman as an artist with gifts that can take what is disordered and make something beautiful. And can remind all those who walk into a room, all those who see a painting, that our God is a beautiful God. And our God is the kind of God that takes beauty from ashes. The kind of God that takes a blank canvas and creates something majestic. Okay. In all those answers, did you hear it? Ten people that belong to the same church you belong to. Did you hear God's story, what God has done, what God is doing through them? You heard examples across the spectrum of vocations of how work is rooted in the story of God. It's aimed at God's glory and human good. It's combining calling and character. You didn't hear, my work is over here and my faith is over here. You didn't hear the secular sacred divide. No, you, you, you heard that God has so infused my faith that it's coming out of my work. You didn't hear my work is God. You didn't hear work is meaningless. You heard that Jesus in his rule and reign over my life has so overcome and I have so surrendered every aspect of my life that I'm looking at my work and how I can be a part of God's work in the world, what God's doing in the world. And what you heard, Citizens Church, is just a glimpse of how we together are being salt and light right now. Like I read these answers as they came in this week and I was just struck by how in a season of difficulty, in a season where there's so much unknown, That God has done, just in the examples I read, God has placed our church in a myriad of places in our county, a myriad of places around, and he's placed them there as beacons of hope and goodness and truth. And I just took great encouragement in a season that's been difficult. I took great encouragement that God is still at work through his people. That the mission of God has not stalled and we get to see a small picture of how that's happening through our work in classrooms and ERs and doctor's offices and through art and through police officers and moms and dads and business owners and you. And you. What do you do for work? What do you hope to do for work? How do you see your work? God, who loves you and who saved you and who made you and wired you and equipped you, has deployed you somewhere now to work in a way that situates in his story, that brings him glory and honor, that is for human flourishing and good, that is this unique mixture of what he's called and equipped you to do and the character that he's forming in you through Jesus. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you for... These, my brothers and sisters, just want to create some space for us to talk to you, God. I wonder, friends, I wonder, brothers and sisters, if how you would answer the question how does your faith inform your work? God cares. Your life is not compartmentalized but all of it falls under the rule and reign of Jesus. How does your faith inform your work? And maybe you would consider answering that question and and you're answering it in a season where you're really unsure about career and job. You're answering in a season where you're you're studying now in school. You're answering in a season where maybe there's been a lot of job hurt. Maybe work environment or something about it's really, really difficult and you're trying to navigate what it looks like to respond righteously and to respond wisely and And God brought you here this morning to just consider, to be reminded that whatever you do, to be reminded that the work that God has called you into, he's called you into, that your work would be worship, that your work would be an offering to him. So, God, would you help us? We need you. I thank you, Lord. God, I'm so, I'm so embarrassed, God, by your kindness to our church just to get a small picture of I get to see what it looks like when we gather on a Sunday morning and you're so kind, but but just to get a glimpse of how you have deployed the people of this church from Sunday to Sunday, how you've sent them into the world, you know, Monday through Friday to live courageous, selfless, generous, gospel-centered lives in all different places. Would you take that, what is already true, would you multiply it among us, God? Would Would it be contagious among us, Lord? We love you. We thank you. Amen.